And now, the Street Photography Magazine podcast with your host, Bob Patterson. Welcome back to the Street Photography Magazine podcast. I'm Bob Patterson, publisher of Street Photography Magazine. And today we're with Kenneth Wajda. He is, uh, he lives in the Boulder, Colorado area, originally from Pennsylvania. Where I come from, we call it Pennsylvania, but you weren't in that part of Pennsylvania. So I, I'm just I'm just kidding you. It's late at night for me here, so I'm a little bit punchy earlier in the day for, for Kenneth. But anyway, so Kenneth is a, he's a photojournalist, commercial photographer. Now he's an educator. And we're going to talk about all things photography and street photography. So Kenneth, thank you for being with us today. Thank you, Bob, for having me. I'm glad to be here. And I love talking photography. Yeah, so do I. So do I. So we won't talk about gear. Well, maybe we will a little bit. Maybe. I did hear you mention gear in some of your YouTube videos. So, so who knows? Who knows? So, Kenneth, I guess before we get to really get rolling, why don't you give us a little of your background, how you got into this, how you got into photography, what you're doing with it now in five minutes or less. I found pictures at my family's house when my mom passed that I had a camera bag on my shoulder. I think I was like six or eight. So I think I've always had a camera around my neck. And I remember doing, I don't remember taking many pictures growing up like as a regular thing, but I do remember going to a high school, not a high school, a college that was in my neighborhood and I could go and just learn darkroom. So I just did like a, non-credit darkroom class so I could learn processing. And then I was at college and I was finding out because I lived in, I was in college in central Pennsylvania and there were a lot of covered bridges. And I found out that I could photograph those bridges and sell them to the local tourist agencies. So I was kind of making a little side hustle back then selling photos of these covered bridges. When I graduated, I did an internship in a TV station, and after the internship ended, there wasn't a job offer. It was the non-union mm-hmm. station across the street from the union union shop, which probably would have been the better place to intern, but this place had no money, and they said, we just can't afford to hire you. And I thought, boy, what am I going to do? So I walked into a newspaper, and I said, hey, I've been shooting for a tourist agency, and I'd love to photograph for you. And the editor said, here, go shoot this. (laughs) He handed me an assignment and it was an assignment to shoot a local fashion show at a hospital, like a, like a charity event. And so I went and shot that. And then the next day it ran in the features page and I worked for him for a year and I had to call in every day and say anything today. And he would look, Oh, let me go look. And then he'd (laughs) flip some pages and look, and then some days I'd have work and some days I wouldn't. And then I was like, I was like, I need to go someplace where I can get a staff job. And I did ask him one time, I said, why did you hire me that day? He said, nobody could shoot that assignment. (laughs) So right place, right time. So then I go to the bigger paper up the street. The first one was called the Burlington County Times in Burlington County, New Jersey. The second one was the Trenton Times in Trenton, the capital. And I walked in there with a portfolio and said, I would like to photograph for you. And my boss is a great boss, Martin Griff. And he said, well, I'm the assistant. The uh, 
photo editor is on vacation. I guess I can hire. Okay, I'll hire you. And so he hired me and we were still friends. And it was just such a wonderful experience. The whole newsroom world, the whole energy of the photo department. We had a great department where there was so much camaraderie and we would go out once a week. Monday nights to a local Irish pub together as a photography department. And I just loved it. It was like the greatest, greatest job in the world. And if anybody hasn't seen, there's an article in the New York Times with by Maureen Dowd, and she talks about the demise of the newsroom and yeah. how much, I think it's a requiem for the newsroom and how incredibly wonderful it is. If anybody who was there knows what a wonderful experience that was, I was there and I completely agree. It was a magical environment. And I always told stories with cameras and I got to do it for a, a 13, 14 years as a staff photographer in Jersey. And then I moved out to Colorado and I've been a commercial editorial freelancer ever since. Wow. Well, yeah, that uh, the story about how you walked into the uh, the paper and he gave you the job, and it's it, it proves one thing. You don't ask, you don't get. Exactly. It's the right place, right time yeah. when somebody needs you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, my, my son uh, went to school to be a photojournalist, and he worked for one year out of school, and that's when the newsroom started to fall apart, 2008, 2009. And he got laid off after almost exactly a year. And uh, uh, he's really good, too. He he still worked as a professional photographer for several years. but uh, That's but, so tough. They, um, they have uh, the last person who was the photo last photographer at the newspaper just retired. And they, now they have no photo department. It's just a, really? yeah. and the reporters, if they take a phone, I guess. Yeah, and that's what it's I'm... just so sad that the industry, I left in 2001 to come to Colorado. So I left right before nine 11. So yeah. really nine 11 happened, which kind of shut down a lot of opportunities for travel photographers. And then uh, the internet came on strong and then, newspapers started to lay off and I really left right before the layoffs. Everybody at my newspaper sort of got laid off shortly after I left. Damn. I you, left before all that. I just beat it. You could have, you could have collected unemployment when you got to help fund your, your own business. Right. I never think that I think I'm a freelancer. Yeah. So I never even yeah. think that. So in those early days, especially as a, as a, as a young photojournalist, I mean, who, who are some of your big influences? in those days anybody we've heard of you know i think i learned more about who were the legends of photojournalism and mm -hmm. of art photography like the egglestons and the robert franks mm -hmm. i learned more about them after i left the newspaper i think when yeah. i was working, most of the people we were looking up to were the ones winning the awards for the national press association national nppa national press photographers mm -hmm. and even the New Jersey Press Photographers Association. So I think my world was the, you know, we were each trying to push each other in our department to see what we can come up with that was great. And then seeing what the other papers did and then trying to find new ways to do things. I had come from a cinematography background. I had studied for a year or two at NYU just to take classes in lighting. And I ended up studying with 
Terry Path, who was the one who taught Martin Scorsese lighting. Oh. And I learned how to do cinema lighting and I was making movies. I was doing film work as a, you know, like a, a sideline where I could get any kind of freelance work back then. So I took those experiences with that kind of lighting, lots, lots of hard tungsten lights. And I would do all of the features assignments. A lot of photographers like to work, they like to work quick with a flash. And I was like willing to bring lights and gels and do colored lights. So I ended mm -hmm. up doing a lot of work for the features department, photographing illustrations for things. Like there was a story about non-communication. So I set up lights in a lo local cafe and there are two actors that I knew who sat in the cafe and the woman of the, of the couple is trying to communicate with her husband and she's leaning forward with her coffee and her muffin and he's got headphones on and a newspaper up and we lit it and we made it so that it had a lot of drama and it was a photo illustration, not an actual news photo, but a photo illustration. And we called it that because we had set it up. And the idea was I liked to bring that kind of cinema lighting to things. I like to play with light and see what we could create that would go beyond, okay, I'll just take, take a flash and just shoot two people sitting there. So that was always fun for me. I've always been a big fan of using light and seeing what we can come up with that takes the page up a, up a notch, you know? Well, you know, we're talking on Zoom, but we can see each other. And Kenneth is lit very nicely. You've got the light coming from your left, your left side. Did you set that up on purpose? I did. You got I the shadow, you know, a little little rim, little rim Rembrandt lighting here. Exactly. I set up a little light. I was yeah. like, "We're going to be on Zoom. I want to have a light. I like That's to be good." It. And I've got my LED up here. <laughs> it's just blasting me into oblivion. <laughs> it's getting dark out too. So, anyway, um, it's interesting you talk about lighting from um, uh, for cinema because I. I'm a big fan of, of why looking at the light when someone sets up a scene and it has some very interesting light, um, especially some some old movies. One of my favorite is The Third Man with Orson right. Welles. Great one there. The lights coming from all directions. Um, and there's the, the television, British television show Endeavor. And one, it wasn't last season. It was like the season before that. It, they must have had somebody different during the lighting and it was just beautiful every episode had some great great lighting and you know in, in these in some indoor scenes particularly when the cops are interviewing people mm -hmm. and i've i've actually gone back and gone through those on my computer and taken screenshots so i think I, that there's a uh there's for the people who appreciate that and see it it's a, a little joy. And for the people who don't, they still get a feeling that there's something special going on, even if they don't know how to put their finger on it. Yeah. Because on a movie set or a television, I mean, nothing happens by accident, right? I mean, that's all right. set up and it's taken, taken them a long time to figure that out. Sure. Whereas a photographer, you don't always have that kind of, you, you never have that kind of time. And you never have crews. So you got to carry it all. That's true. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So I, you're still doing commercial photography and you're doing editorial photography, portraits, and um, a lot of very interesting stuff. But you're also, you're teaching some street photography. 
and you know you're obviously interested in street photography you do it yourself how did your experience as a photojournalist help you photographing just for fun on the street a lot of people whenever they're starting in street photography they're nervous about pointing a camera at somebody yeah i have oh, a friend yeah. who you know completely struggles to be overt with her camera because it's difficult when mm -hmm. somebody is thinking well these are strangers why would i point my camera at them what if they see me but i was working as a photojournalist longer and probably back at the newspaper days three o'clock would come along and my editor would say hey go out and go get me a roamer and a roamer was go roam around and find something pictorial that we can put on the front page. And that'll be a picture we'll use for the weather story. Because I would say, because we failed them again, we don't have any news. I'm like, <laughs> well, they don't have anything that's worthy of the front page and we need a pictorial. So I would go out and I would look for something strong visually, which is kind of what street photography may be. Mm -hmm. If you're thinking of uh, one with graphic elements and things like that, I would go out and shoot roamers all the time. And, we would have to approach people. We would have to sometimes just shoot what was going on. But we were looking for, you know, after a big snowstorm, we're looking at people shoveling walks and somebody walking through snow and cutting a trail or something that was visual in some way. Mm -hmm. And that was, for me, that was like an early approach to street photography. So then when I would go out on the street on my days off, after that, I found that it was like, I had license to be there. I used the opportunity and the, the experience of being a photojournalist to say, well, I'm supposed to be here. I'm working. So I carried myself with a camera that was either at my chest and I would just walk along and shoot or to my eye and I would just keep walking. And if you just keep walking with a camera up to your eye, people will look at you, but then they'll start to think you're shooting the person behind them. And sometimes you are, and sometimes you already shot them, but it's, I was often sent places to go photograph at the Jersey shore, go to the boardwalk and go make a photograph. It was always interesting because you can say anything you want with some photographs. Mm -hmm. So I was sent to the Jersey shore one summer and Hey, it's been a really good summer. It's been a really good, you know, boom for tourism at the Jersey shore, get a picture of a busy boardwalk. So you go down and you set up on a overpass somewhere or someplace looking down on the boardwalk. There's a big crowd of people. You use a long lens, you compress it all together. Next thing you know, you've got a nice tight shot full of people. Next year, it's been a bad year, a lot of bad weather. Get a shot of an empty boardwalk. You are literally <laughs> in the same spot and that crowd passes and you wait till they pass until there's a break and then you shoot an empty boardwalk. You can shoot anything you want when you need to illustrate a story. And that was, but I always felt like I was supposed to be there. I was brought here. I'm, I belong here. I'm working. And yeah. having a press pass in my car, having a press pass on my bag, that was always license. So when I go out and shoot street, I just feel like I'm continuing to work. I'm not, of course I'm here working and it's the most obvious thing. I want people to almost just notice me and think, Oh, I guess he's supposed to be here. And that's the way I try to carry myself. Even though sometimes I do walk with my camera at my chest, 
not looking through it. And I'll just shoot as I pass people if I want to be a little bit more overt. I'd like to take a quick break to thank the Street Photography Magazine subscribers for your support. We couldn't do this without you. You may have noticed that we don't sell advertising or sponsorships in the podcast or inside Street Photography Magazine itself. And that's because we want to be completely objective about the work we publish and the services and gear that we cover. Our only constituent is you, our listeners and readers. So if you like what we're doing, you can support the show by subscribing to Street Photography Magazine. It's only $5 per month, and you can do it by visiting streetphotographymagazine.com slash subscribe. And now back to the show. Yeah, it looks like you've built up those muscles over the years. A lot, <laughs> a lot of people, you know, a lot of people haven't done that. Um, I, I took a, I was involved in a street photography course and a workshop, and one of the assignments was to go out and take take eleven steps. Stop after those eleven steps. You can't move. You can turn around, but you can't you can't move, and you have to make a photo. And then huh. take 11 more steps. That's not very far. No. And a lot of people around, and at first they look at you funny, and you're forced to do it. You know, you can't be shy. You have to do right. this, right? And then by the time you do 20 of those or 30 of those, you're you're pretty used to it. You're used to people looking at you funny for a few minutes and then forgetting mm -hmm. about you because you're still in that one awkward spot. Right. It helps a lot. Of course, when you do it every day and you're being paid for it, that's uh, that's even better. Yes. There's an old story that says, and I've told it to my students, go up to people and ask them if you can take their photo. Mm -hmm. I've been with friends doing street or walking through a festival, and somebody's got like a great, you know, uh, fry cook making up some kind of, you know, yeah. peppers and onions and steak and all this steam coming up. And he goes, I'd like to photograph him. I said, just go over and ask him if you can take his photo. And he, he will say yes, and then you'll take his photo. And then my friend walks over, asks, next thing you know, he's taking pictures. And people will say yes. And mm -hmm. I've told many of my students, if you go out and you try to take pictures of people that you find interesting, that you would like to take portraits of, make street portraits of, and you can only go home after 10 people have said no, you'll be out there all day because 10 people won't say no very quickly. It's hard to get people to say no. Most people will say, okay. Yeah, unless you stop them on the way to catch the bus or something, they're gonna say no. Sure. Yeah. yeah, good point. Is there a big difference between shooting on the street in Colorado versus Philadelphia or Trenton? Yeah, Boulder is a little bit more, yeah. their outdoor mall feels like a, a shopping mall sort of yeah. thing. Kind of a, a lot of the, stores that sell clothing and a lot of tourist restaurants and stuff. So it doesn't have the energy of New York, which has much more diversity. It doesn't have the energy of Philadelphia, which is a little bit gritty, yeah, but slightly. it's still, yeah. Sorry. But, I'm insulting Pennsylvania left and right. I grew up right it, next to it. So. But Boulder has, uh, you know, downtown Denver, Boulder, Denver has more of an urban feel than Boulder. And it's still, when you compare, you know, even the size of Chicago, Chicago has a yeah. big town feel, big city feel. New York and, and Philadelphia certainly do. Denver really doesn't. 
Denver mm-hmm. has a small section with some tall buildings, but it doesn't feel like as urban of a place. And it doesn't have the quantity of people that those bigger cities have. So I sometimes go to Denver. I shoot in Boulder. The fascinating thing is I will go out and I'll go and say, there's not going to be anything here. It's just going to be a bunch of people licking ice cream cones and walking past me and who cares? And I always say, you just have to show up. The muse exists, but she has to find you working because some kid will jump in the air in front of you, which I've gotten that. I was walking, the film festival was in February. And so I was down for the film festival and I was walking the, the downtown mall and Right as I'm walking across the street, a woman is coming out of an ice cream shop and falls. And she's got a smile on her face. Her friends are helping her up. But it's right in front of me. It's perfect framing. It's easy to get. It's like, you just have to be there. And you don't know going to be there. It does look like nothing until something happens. And you have to be ready for something. Your finger has to be on the shutter. You have to have the exposure set. You can't be thinking, oh, maybe I should take my camera out of my bag. I have no use for bags, for never-ready cases. Just have the camera on, keep the lens cap in the car, in the case. Don't even bother with the lens cap. And just go out and make photographs. But be ready. You have to be, anything that happens, you have to be able to just get it and jump on it. And certainly with, you know, 30-plus years of working, I, I, I know how to work on the quick. But you just have to be at places and be aware of what might happen and be ready if something something does. That's funny you bring that up. Like you, I live in a college town, not as big as Boulder, but and we have an outdoor outdoor mall, Main Street, they turn it in. And I go down there a lot. And I, I say that to myself too, you know, what a it's gonna be a bunch of tourists walking around, you know, rich white people. Um uh, and uh you know, so what's gonna happen? And if I don't wait, if I'm not there long enough, yeah, you got to be patient, right? But uh, same thing, same thing. What we're not going to talk about gear, but you know, you talk about being ready and everything. What what lens do you, what focal length do you use on the street? I love my wides. Yeah, I I've been using a twenty eight one eight because I picked mm-hmm. it up at a local yeah. yard sale cheap, and I'm like, well, it's a twenty eight one eight, and I use Nikon DSLRs yeah. and. There's a uh, 20 that I am really enamored with. I just like wide. I just like to get a super wide lens and get in with people so that I can feel like I'm with them and that they're filling the frame. And so I I really run wide, even in my journalism work, even whenever I was doing work for stories, I'd like to take a, a wide lens in and bring people into that scene more than I like to use a telephoto and exclude things. But I've been using a 28 a lot. I certainly have shot a 35 and a 50 in mm-hmm. Vegas. I find a 50 is better because you kind of want to be a little further away from some of the people. <laughs> There's a yeah. lot of people and you don't want to be right on top of them all the time with a camera. So yeah. for me in Vegas, 50 works better. Oh yeah. Yeah. I never thought about that. Interesting. A friend of mine just got back from there. Uh, matter of fact, he's being featured in a couple months and I should ask him what he used. I know what he used. He actually used. Uh, never mind. I won't even go there. Um, yeah, that's that's cool. Now you do a lot of those personal documentary projects, as as I as I 
seen on your website. And one thing I'm curious about, and, and some of them you've, you're still doing over a number of years, right? Sure. Um, do you ever work on a project and you get to a point where I don't know how to approach this differently? You know, you know, every time you go back, sometimes you're just taking the same shots over and over again. Maybe, maybe that doesn't happen to you because you've got so many years of experience as a professional. But I wondered if that happens. And if so, you know, how do you get through that? Or do you just quit the project? I think I'm a good example would be last summer, I was out around the 4th of July at the local lake. And the lake is surrounded by a walkway that I kind of feel like is our town's promenade if you don't count the downtown. And there's a lot of people out there. And there's people with paddle boards. There's people with small boats. There's people with, I guess, you know, other water sports. And I was down there and there was a, I was down there with a Rolleiflex, a Rolla film. And there was a little girl dancing with her parents right in front of me on the bench I was sitting and I was just making photos. And after I made those, I thought, maybe I'll just go back down to that lake. It's only six minutes from my house. I'll oh. take a drive there. And on a regular basis, I'll just go down there and just shoot a roll of film in that roll of flex for the summer. So having a limit on when it would end, although I don't know if I considered this right away, but shortly I started thinking I better have an end to this. So I'll end it on Labor Day. So from July 4th to Labor Day, I would go out to that lake. And I'd go out on Saturday, sometimes Saturday and Sunday, one roll of flex, one roll of black and white HP5. And I set the camera at 250 at F11, knowing that's about two stops overexposed for the sun, but it'll get shadow detail. And I wouldn't even bother with um, exposure meter. And if you're shooting in full sun, 250 F11 with HP5 will get you a picture. And if I was under a tree, if there was anything happening that felt like it was darker, I would just open up a stop or two. Mm -hmm. And I went out there every weekend. And if you go out there every weekend and you shoot a roll of film, because you have to shoot a roll of film, you find things. I remember many days pulling up to the curb and going, mm -hmm. more people setting up a paddleboard, more people blowing it up with an air pump, more kids sitting and doing nothing. It's nothing to see here. Oh, well, get out of the car and take a walk. And I take a walk. And next thing you know, things show up. The muse exists, but she has to find you working. And things would happen. And I would be like, okay, I've got some really good stuff. And I don't know how that happens. I think having an end to a project is a helpful thing so that you have a, a structure for it. Um, I was also shooting with an old camera that people were enamored with. I was also very friendly. I already, when I started the project, I quick registered longmontlakeproject.com. And I could tell people, hey, I'm doing a photo project called the Longmont Lake Project, and I'm documenting people out at the lake. Can I photograph you? They would see the camera. I could tell them how they could go see the work because they could go to the website. And everybody was fine with it. There was very, you know, no problem at all reaching out to people. And then some people reached out to me and I would photograph them. Some are just candidates that I didn't, you know, get their attention. And every time I would go out and park and think there's nothing out there. I thought, but you can't go home. You got to go look and things would show up. 
And you just have to really, you know, I, I can't stress it enough, even for myself, when I don't feel like sometimes I don't feel like going, you, who cares what you don't feel like? Just go. You just have to go. Nothing is going to happen here. You're only going to find it by going. And if you go and you find something, you will be glad you went. And again, that structure of I got to shoot a roll a week. So sometimes I would only get six shots. The roll of film holds 12. Sometimes I'd only get six shots. And I would think, you know what? I'm just going to come back tomorrow and finish and not try to shoot the whole thing in one day if I wasn't feeling like I could get any more. But within the course of two days, I could always do a roll of film. And sometimes I did two. And that project had a f- end on Labor Day. And I was kind of excited to have it ending so I could call it published and ready to be out there. And Ilford did a blog post about it and used some of the photographs. And it was, for me, I guess, it, you know, showing up. There's, I think there's a Michelle Williams film out, which I would like to see. It's about artists working and it's called Showing Up. And that's kind of my mantra is mm. you just got to show up. You can't think about whether you feel like it or wonder if there's anything out there. There is. You just have to show up. I'm writing down that movie. We'll put a link to it in in the show notes for this. I think that's interesting what you did with the, with the domain name. Um, and the and does that that's just, but the that project's on your website, right? Right. So it's just, so a it redir- just maps to yeah yeah. It's three hundred one redirect to your to that right that it's, folder. It's yeah, it's a ten dollar domain name that just yeah. redirects back to my site. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's perfect. Hmm. You're giving me some ideas here. Uh, one thing, I, I want to go back to something that you mentioned. Um, and I saw this in one of your YouTube videos, short video where you're, you put the camera around your neck, which I don't normally do that. Because you even said in the video, you look like a tourist. Right. Which is not necessarily a bad thing. Um, I always carry it over my shoulder. But And, and I, I heard the same thing from Robert Verga. He's a street photographer lives in New Jersey, shoots mainly in New York, and he has it on a short cord, you know, right below his, not too far below his chin, because mm-hmm. he doesn't have, have to move it very far to take it up and shoot. And I go, that you know, that's so efficient and simple. And why don't I do that? <laughs> It's but, not like uh, I, I it's not like I can really claim that I do that a lot. I yeah. did that video recently and yeah. I the Olympus camera, it was a little Olympus mm-hmm. rangefinder. And I thought, you know what? It had a short neck strap. I'm gonna see what that's like. Yeah. And I have done that some this past weekend. I was out at a local fair and I did have it like that. But most of the time I do carry it on my shoulders. And most of the time, I'll tell you, I have a a, a my everybody's got a little trick that they do you know something that works for them to be incognito but still be amongst people yeah and mine is i'll often walk with the camera right here and if i'm right here (laughs) nobody else can see okay right oh yeah right below your right 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 below my chin just a chest level and i've got my hand on the shutter and if i see something like there's a person sleeping in a car right there this happened in new york i'm like okay i want to photograph them so as i got into the position i know the exposure is right i know the focus is set. All I have to do is point and shoot. I'm shooting at a four thousandth of a second at F8. That's kind of my go-to for, I need to be able to move the camera and not blur anything. If I'm driving and I see something, I can even shoot out a moving car and a four thousandth will stop it. A two thousandth will not. 
because I'm moving. Yeah. So I'm, I'm seeing somebody and I want to photograph them. And I literally will take the camera and I'll put the camera toward them. I'll shoot. And then I'll wrap the cord around my shoulder and put the camera away. And if you were just looking at me, all you saw was me putting a camera away. But what I'm doing is I'm photographing you, keeping the camera in motion, putting it over my shoulder. And as soon as I pass you, I'm taking it off my shoulder and right back into that first position. And I do that all day long. And that's my little misdirect so that I'm just kind of walking along. I'm trying not to be in your world where you're too aware of me. And Uh if I'm keeping the camera not to eye level, and then if I use this little move that makes it seem like I'm just kind of putting the camera away. I'm often able to shoot things very close and candid and I don't get anybody responding to me and saying, Hey, but sometimes I'll walk with the camera to my eye, but that's a common one, especially like in a city like New York, I was in New York in November and it's just so many people and I'm right amongst them. So somebody actually came up to me in New York, uh, an older gentleman, he goes, how do you do that? I see you just kind of pointing the camera at things or else. How do you photograph like that? I go, well, the exposure is all set and the focus is all set. And all I have to do, I know the view is a 28. It's like going like this, you know, from this side to this side, I can tell where the view is. I can guess what's going to be in it. And then I just aim it at that general area and I can usually frame it. And he was enamored with the idea. He's like, wow, that's fascinating. And I said, (laughs) yeah, get a camera, go do it. Free, free advice. Right. So you're doing this with a with with your film camera, or you do it to no, that's up. I, I, I've come to the conclusion that I love to shoot film. I yeah. shoot film for all of my family and friends. I shoot film for portraits when I have commissions that I can do, mm-hmm. and I can add some film to the digital shoot. I shoot digital for editorial and commercial work because that's what they want and they need it now, and I understand that. And I shoot digital for street because I don't want to be hampered by, well, this one's not quite worthy of it. I have to try things and Mm -hmm. trying things means I have to shoot digital. And I have tried to go out with film for street and it just doesn't work for me. My street photography is a digital shoot. It's with a wide angle lens with a motor back button focus and most of the time it's always just focused at 10 feet, but it's back button focus point and shoot. And it's being there. It's I'm not a stander. I'm not really a, a street photographer looking for shadows and, and form. I'm looking for stories. I want mm-hmm. people in the street. My mantra is to me, street photography is a tap on the shoulder. Hey, Bob, look over there. Yeah. I want you to show, I want you to see what they're doing right there. And when you turn, you won't go, what? Nothing. You'll go, oh, wait, I see it. So my street photography, I'm trying to tell stories that are worthy of a tap on the shoulder to say, hey, take a look at that. And if it's somebody wearing a blue shirt in front of a blue wall and a blue bike, it's not enough for me. It's just, okay, so it needs to have more. And I'm, like I said, I'm not a a person who sits still. I just, I like to get a walk in and Mm -hmm. it gets me moving and I just keep walking. I don't know what I'm missing behind me, but something might come up in front of me and I got to go somewhere. So my 
thing is to just keep moving and look for those stories in the street. A lot of times it's, you know, people connecting to each other. It's little moments that I hope an audience can see what that moment is and they can say, I see what he was, what he saw. So when you don't back button focus, you're just, you're just using the back button to focus it like 10 feet and you leave it there. Yeah. Except for like, if I see somebody close, yeah, I'll quick push it to them if I want to try to get them uh, as they're passing me close. But then I'll go right back to 10 feet by literally pointing it at something about 10 feet away. So I'll just keep using back button focus to most of the time if I have to shoot something closer. I know if I shoot at that 2818, if I put the focus on the infinity mark four thousandths of a second at F8, everything from six feet to infinity is guaranteed sharp and in focus. Yeah. Yeah. Smart. Very smart. Yeah, and you, you do a lot of good stuff. I mean, uh, definitely go check out Kenneth's websites and see what he's doing. Um, that's great advice. I keep it at one two fifty. I'm thinking that's fast, but not <laughs> not doing the, not doing the turn. That's true. <laughs> so um, you are. You have many interests, you know, you, you, you do a lot photographically. And uh, one thing of yours I saw that I, I found very interesting is, is the, uh, the Ray Strike or Roy Stryker project. The, what can you tell us about that? Tell, tell us who Roy Stryker is, for those who don't never heard of him, and what's it all about? So Roy Stryker was the administrator who hired Dorothea Lang and all of the FSA photographers to photograph the Dust Bowl and the post-Depression era rural areas, kind of to show the people in the cities how much suffering and poverty there was. And it was somewhat of a propaganda project to get funding and support for those poor rural areas. And the motto from Roy Stryker to the photographers was to introduce America to Americans. And when the Trump presidency started, it felt like there was a lot of division in the in the country. So I thought, what if we could create a world where a place where we could have a place of a bunch of photographs from a lot of different photographers from all parts of the US, and we could just see what America looks like today. And maybe we would see we are more alike than different. And maybe we don't have to be so divided. And so I invited other photographers to join me. At first, it was a film only project, which I wanted to make it so it would have an authenticity and also an archivability with negatives that someday, if this project grew, we could get those negatives to the Library of Congress as an archive. But it became a little bit challenging and people weren't really able to deliver on a regular basis. So I opened it up to digital work and then I started shooting digital and we've done that for probably, I guess that was 2016. So we've oh. been doing that ever since we're on a little bit of a hiatus. I hate right now since I think of January, I ended up getting a couple of big jobs teaching and I ended up not having the time to mm -hmm. pursue it. I've had some other photographers send me work that I need to get on there and we'll be 
relaunching new work, but there's work on there from 2016 till this past January. And we've hardly ever missed a week. We would publish twice a week, Tuesday, uh, Wednesdays and Saturdays. And my goal was just to, you know what it was? It was to photograph the in-betweens. I always made an idea for my photographers that were working on it. I don't want you to photograph Christmas dinner. I want to photograph Tuesday dinner. I want to photograph people doing ordinary things that may not look like anything because very few people, we look back at old photos of uh, Eggleston's from the seventies and he was shooting the most ordinary things that most people would say, there's nothing to see. In fact, during that time, there were photographers who said, this is nothing. This isn't photography. And the idea of shooting things that are right in front of us, if you shoot a car that's a 1970s Buick and you say, look how cool it is, that is cool. But in 50 years, somebody's going to say, look at that Lexus, but yeah. you won't have shot it because you can't see it as anything worth shooting today. But yeah. they were shooting the cars of the day and certainly cars had a little bit more style back then. But there are things that we have now that we're blind to because we don't see them. And so the project was photograph the most ordinary thing. It could be a workman working on any kind of work. It could be somebody playing. It could be somebody just doing the things that happen in ordinary life on a given day. And let's get 50 states worth of work in there. And most of the work, I would say, is probably my own. And I would get other states in my travels because I would often have to travel to Washington or New York or Philly for photo shoots. And if the client wanted me to bring a portable studio, I found it easier to travel with a, a rental car and drive across the country and bring more gear than trying to fly with it and, and <laughs> pay overweight freight charges and all that. So yeah. I was bringing that out there and I was shooting all along the way. And so I got to photograph a lot of states to add to the project. And everything is keyworded. Everything is is identified by date and location. So you can go into the search and just put in a city or a state and see what's in there. And there's a lot in there. There must be, I don't know, several hundreds or maybe over a thousand entries because we did it for so long and we'll continue to do it. The project is still ongoing. Yeah, that's uh that's really something. It's funny you you bring bring up, you know, photograph the ordinary whatever I, I i like stella johnson i don't know if you, she's she's done a couple um uh, like a conversations well she, she did a like a conversation if you ever watch any of those i have and, uh, and then she was on the bnh podcast and she talks a lot about that about shooting the in-between moments you know not blowing out the candles but maybe putting the candles on the cake or or cleaning up the dishes or whatever Sure. And there, there's a lot to that. Maybe it uh, goes back to my photojournalism days. Yeah. Whenever I was sent out to photograph a groundbreaking, you would get a bunch of people in suits with shovels standing there in a line and they would wait for the cameras to shoot. And so I would shoot. Yeah. And then they would put their guard down. They would start shaking hands and laughing. And I would always shoot that and use that because we can yeah. see where you are. But you don't have to be posed for my camera to tell the story. The story is you're here and you're celebrating. Yeah. I can get the the afterwards. That's the photograph. Yes, yes. 
And, you know, it's interesting you bring up the FSA. There was a similar program in New York City in the 1970s called CETA, C-E-T-A. And they brought in a bunch of young photographers and they had projects to photograph, you know, people in Hell's Kitchen or, um, you know, children, you know, getting free breakfast and things, you know, all kinds of things around the city. And uh, one of those people who's now my age, um, we, um, we, she was on our podcast last week, Mar Marsha Bricker Halperin. She Very did cool. that back in the 70s. She just published a book from work she did back in that period. Uh, another one is Meryl Meisler. Um, who photographed in Bushwick. She was a school teacher and she was in the CETA project, published a lot of her books from the old, you know, the olden days. And uh, I just, I find it so interesting. There's, there's a several photographers from, from that, that era, from that project that, that we've been talking to. I've well, heard just, it said, I've heard it said it, was attributed to either Gary Winogrand or Lee Friedlander, but one of them was shooting in the streets of New York and said, if whatever you see today, just shoot it the best you can. It doesn't matter, really. Everything gets better in time. And <laughs> it's true. We look back at those photos of two people wearing a fur coat in 1960 and we're enamored, but that's just the ordinary thing. They photographed it well yeah. and time made it extra good. Yeah, we all have time on our side to make our photographs better. Make great photographs today. Go find strong stories. Tell worthwhile, you know, stories in your pictures. But time will add more. Yeah, just don't lose them. Right. <laughs> and I think it's even easier to lose stuff today than it was when you had everything in boxes and the negatives and the sleeves. And well, here's a story about here's a story about loss. In 2018, the New York Times ran a story called The Summer of 78. Mm -hmm. And in the summer of 78, all of the photographers for the Times were on strike. The paper was on strike, not so much the photographer, the paper was on strike. And so the photographers weren't working. So the city said, would you just go out and photograph people in the parks? And we'll do a park project. So they did. And they got paid. And they got all their slides delivered to the city. And that get put into a box. And it got put under a desk and it lived there for 50 years, however many years it was to yeah. 2018, 40 years, 40 years. And in 2018, they found the box and they published them. And yeah. it was called the summer of 78. And everybody is enamored by the photographs because it's They're old. going back in time, yeah. seeing that style, seeing what it looked like back in 1978. So I went out to the local parks in my area and I said, I'm going to do a, complimentary project called Boulder the summer of 2018. And again, the project had a definite thing. I wanted to create so many photographs that I could hang them in a gallery and put them in some coffee shop shows, things like that. And I did. And I went out to different parks on different days and I created a body of work and the photographs only exist because I needed them. When you need them, you get them. And mm -hmm. I went out to the different parks. So if, if I didn't need them, I wouldn't have maybe gone to the parks. I went to the parks knowing I need to find photos for this project. 
And I guess I'll go at sunset. I guess I'll go when the light's nice and I'll try different things. I'll go at when the farmer's market is on because a lot of people hang out in the park. And you start to find when's the good times and you start to find more things. You keep adding to the project. And that one, I think, you know, I probably only exhibited maybe 12 or 15 photographs. And that was not the longest project. I probably spent two months going out to different parks, but it was a direct response to the summer of 78. And in my information on the gallery shows, I would describe it as reference to mm-hmm. when the New York Times sent people out to, or the New York Times photographers were sent out by the city. And so I'm doing the same thing in Boulder in 2018. And again, it became a, a project and you find you find subjects when you go out looking for them. Do you ever run out of inspiration? It seems like that's not the case. I hear people say that they're going, Oh, I'm on a slump. I'm I'm not inspired. I'm like, just go out. Sure. I don't understand that. It's like maybe it's because I don't have children. I don't have the family commitments. I have free time. I'm a writer. I often go out to the pubs and write. I'll often go take walks and I'll take a camera. I have the ability to just go. And I do consider myself probably not like people who are the commitments of family, but I'm a freelancer. So my schedule is a lot more wide open than it is when a person works nine to five. I often hear in my photography world, you know, everybody is so busy. Oh, how's it going? Oh, so busy. I'm like, really? I'm not that busy. I'm busy. I make enough to make it work. But the truth is, I don't think busy is a badge of honor. I think everybody kind of makes it to try to say, so I'm valuable. But I think the goal is to make enough that you need and then go out and make some personal creative work for yourself and balance those somehow. I agree with you. Busy, busy. I'm so busy. I'm so busy also means I'm so important. Exactly. Yeah. We're all important. Right. Exactly. In one way or another. Yeah. We are. And there's and nobody is lesser. Everybody is equal. That's right. That's right. I like what you said before. Yeah, we're all uh we're all pretty much alike, conservative, um, liberal, in between, whatever. Um we um we featured a woman um a couple years ago. She photographs people in Africa and Chad and uh and uh using infrared and these people are all dressed up in their native garb and everything and and one of her sayings this comes from uh comes from Maya Angelou we're, we're more alike my friend than we are unalike and that's what's neat about this FSA project and you talked earlier about Jeff Sonnabend uh who was doing something very similar out, out of Arkansas Right, exactly. And, you know, he's going out to the people. He's from New York. You know, he's probably more liberal guy. But he's going out to those deep red areas and getting to know the people. And we're not that different. We all have the same needs and wants. We all want to be secure and have some good work and have some good time. And the point is... Everybody wants that. We're not different at all. And the division is something that I think people use to get what they want to get when they're in power. But the truth is, we have to approach. Everybody is approachable. The 
people that you think aren't approachable, they are too. And everybody is welcoming. Everybody, you find out that there's no difference. The people that you think won't say yes absolutely do. And the people who you think will, they usually will too. But it's never a problem. It's not a, people all want to just be in a positive, happy place. I often say, go out and photograph. If you want to photograph people and make portraits of them, go out there with a joy on your face. Go out there going, I just love this. Oh, I'm working today. I I, I want to, I've sometimes said to people, hey, I want to take your photo. Can I take your photo? There was a guy dressed up to the nines for Derby Day a mm-hmm. year or two ago. And he's like, of course. And when you ask somebody if you can photograph them, they're kind of enamored that you pick them. You're kind of like, oh, I get, I get, I got chosen in some way. And I often will say, they'll say, why? Why do you want to take my picture? I'm going, I'm photographing the most, the the, the best looking people in the area. And then, you know, a compliment yeah. like that, they're right away going to say, okay, I'll do it. And yeah. again, I'm having some fun with them too. I'm joking with them. I'm trying to make it so that it's a friendly thing. If there are two people, last weekend, I was walking down a street and this group of three young girls, probably teenagers come walking up and one makes a motion like, take our picture. I said, I'll take your picture. So then they pose for my camera like teenage girls will. And then I said, look at each other for one. And then they looked at each other and then they changed their expressions into what their real expressions are. And that's the photo I really like. But that photo, I often will tell people, look at each other. Go and do something after what you think you should be doing because everybody knows how to pose. But I'm looking to go get something other than that. I want to go and see what else I can get. Okay, we can get that. Now let's get one other thing. Let's look at each other. That always gets a response. Ah, that's a good one. That's a good one. I always say, don't be serious, but sometimes that doesn't work. (laughs) Of course, nothing works all the time. I sometimes say, you don't have to smile. You can just be yourself. And there was a, uh, there was a portrait exhibit at the National Portrait Gallery down in Washington a few years ago. And it was called uh, American Cool. And it was photographs of authors and musicians and movie stars and statesmen, any kind of a known celebrity. There were probably 200 photographs in this exhibit. Photographs that we've seen in magazines, photographs we've seen around. And out of 200 pictures, two people were smiling. Virtually nobody was looking at the camera. Yeah. And the two people who were smiling were Dizzy Gillespie and Jimi <laughs> Hendrix. But the, rest, really? yeah. <laughs> but the rest were not. And the rest, most weren't even looking at the camera. And a portrait... As soon as you look at the camera and smile, it's almost like you're photographed by your parents. And that's the photo that you're supposed to give them. But once you make portraits and you don't photograph with smiles and you say, just be yourself and you can even look off, you don't have to look at the camera or you can. Right away, it changes it into, I'm photographing you as you, not you as the person who learned to smile when they were six and has done it ever since. And I try to do that. I try to say, just you can just be yourself. And if they choose to smile, then it's like, well, that's also a choice to be yourself. You can. I'm not going to limit that. But I like to get them to know that they don't have to smile. They can just be themselves. Very cool. Great advice. Like I said at the beginning, before we started, I can go on like this all day or all night. But... Uh... We've got to start wrapping things up here. 
So I'm glad you did it with an excellent piece of advice. So Kenneth, before we go, you have to tell us where people can find you. They can find me at my website, kennethwajdaphotographer.com. They don't want to spell photographer. They can just go kennethwajda.com and we'll redirect there. Ah. And I'm on Instagram under Kenneth Wajda Photographer, but Instagram isn't my go-to. I kind of publish on a my own website. I started years ago in when I first started doing uh, a website for street, I created a website called coloradofaces.com. Mm -hmm. And so coloradofaces.com will take you to a site full of all my street work. And Kenneth Wedge, the photographer, has some of those projects we talked about. Yeah. And I welcome anybody who has any questions would love to communicate. I like talking to photography. I'm open. I have an email. You can always send me an email. And we can always chat and we all are connected. We have to stay connected and we have to know we're a great community of photographers here. And it's so much fun. I love having that when I go places and travel and meet other photographers. I love carrying a film camera because just last weekend, somebody else had a Canon AE-1. Everybody who has cameras, they talk to each other. Yeah. It's a license to approach people. In fact, I've always said the camera is this magical device that lets you travel and meet people, things that you can't do, you typically can't go up to people or don't feel comfortable, but with a camera, it gives you license to say, hey, I really like the way you look, I get to compliment you, I can photograph you, I can savor it. And then I'm a big fan of printing. I deliver small prints to people. Mm -hmm. I pick up frames at yard sales, I get frames at uh, thrift stores, and I can make small prints, put them in a frame, and they have a piece of my work that is, is in their home and they get to live that moment and keep that moment, not just as a, nice. I always say, it's not just a glance and a swipe. It's actually a photograph as a photograph was meant to be. And I really think that it's important to print some photographs, keep some of those memories of our world in front of us and to kind of celebrate that we get to make these photographs and give them to other people and they get to take it. They often will say, can I get a copy? And they think I'm going to email it to them. And then I'll contact them and I'll say, oh, hey, it's ready. Where can I meet you? And they're like, what? And then I hand it to them and they're just so enamored by something that costs under a few dollars. And they're having something that is real. It's made with quality often on black and white film or, you know, it's just got a, a, a certain it's art. It's, it's, it's them as art, which I really like. Them as art. Very cool. You left one thing out. What about your YouTube channel? So I have a YouTube channel where I talk photography. I talk about, I try to talk about photography more than just gear, but I do bring up if I find a good deal on a camera and it's at, some crazy long YouTube thing, but I have a redirect. If you just go to here's to good light.com, here's to good light is a domain I have that redirects back to my YouTube because most people can spell that. And no apostrophe is just straight through here's to good light.com. And that's my mantra here's to good light. Let's work together. And I'll leave one last thought. Okay. Everybody who is a photographer is doing something that only they can do their way. I can't see the way you see, Bob. You can't see the way I see. And they don't need us 
to be a new Eggleston. They don't need us to be a new Robert Frank. We have them. What they need, what we all need is each of us to be ourselves and show the world the way we see our unique way. And that's a gift. I think that we have to be the ones who give what we actually see and say, this is what I like. This is what I see. This is how I see the world. And it may not be everybody, everybody's view. It might not be for everybody. Somebody once wrote to me at my YouTube and said, I don't like any of your work. And I said, that's okay. I like it. And hopefully you find some other work you do like, but we can't all like everything. And at the end of the day, we have to please ourselves first. And if we like it, we have to put it out and stand behind it and not try to be somebody else because we already have them, but we don't have us. So make the work that only you, I, we can make. I think that's the most important message. Yeah. Be yourself. Everybody else is taken. Exactly. That was Mark Twain, not me. (laughs) (laughs) Your thoughts about the show go a long way in helping us decide on the guests and the subjects that we include in each episode. So please take a few moments to write a review in Apple Podcasts or whatever service you use to stream your podcasts. It helps us know if we're on the right track and it helps others to find and enjoy the show. The editor of Street Photography Magazine is Ashley Refo, and our audio engineer is Russell Boyd from WeBit Studios, found at webitstudios.co.uk. I'm Bob Patterson, and this is the Street Photography Magazine podcast, a service of Street Photography Magazine. <music> ¶¶